Good morning, church. How's everybody? It's so good to see you. Welcome to church. We welcome those that are joining us at both of our campuses, at Tupelo campus, Saltillo campus, and we welcome those that are joining us online. North Star is a place where everybody is welcome. Nobody is perfect. And anything is possible. If you believe that, say amen. 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 If you're new to North Star, our vision here is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That means that nation, those nations, those 193 nations, those 17,000 people's groups, as well as this nation. I'm glad to see you today and uh, I'm excited to get into the, the teaching today, into the message. Uh, I love this series. It's just going to be a little too short, so we're going to extend it <clears throat> at some time. And uh, we're looking at the last days. Last week, we looked at some strategic signs. You know, the Bible says that nobody knows when Jesus is coming again. But you can write this in your notes. Jesus is coming again. And I said last week that we need to plan like he's not coming back for another hundred years, but live like he's coming back today, all right? Uh, Oftentimes people ask me questions about the end times, and of course, as I've already said, the Bible says nobody knows when Jesus is coming again, but when people ask me about that, some of the questions are like, Uh, hey, could you teach us about the judgment seat of Christ? That is really a fascinating, deep theological study. And unfortunately, in this mini-series, we're not going to be talking about the judgment seat of Christ. I know it whets your appetite, but the the judgment seat of Christ, let me just give you a quick definition, and then I'm going to bring a message on it uh, in in the near future. The judgment seat of Christ is when believers, after the, after the second coming, stand before Jesus as judge. Now, he's not judging us uh, uh, as to where we're going to go to heaven or hell. That judgment was ta- had taken place on the cross, and when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you're in. Everybody should amen that. When you say yes to Christ, you're in. I I heard somebody one time uh, who wrote a song, and they sang it in church, and it was was very country-sounding. And uh, it was, the words were, I'm looking forward to that day when we're all standing before the great white throne judgment of God. Let me just tell you something. If you ever hear that, that's wrong. I'm not going to be standing at the great white throne judgment of God. I'm going to be at the judgment seat of of Christ. The great white throne judgment is, is where those that said no to Jesus Christ, they're sentenced forever to hell. I'm not going to be standing there. Look, I'm going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if I can look over and see it or not, but I hope none of you are going to be at that judgment. Because the judgment seat of Christ, okay, the judgment seat of Christ, 
man, that's another whole sermon, but that's when we stand before Christ and we're judged, not based on our sins, but based on what we've done on the, on the earth. Now, at the end of my message today, I'm going to be talking more about what we need to do uh, in light of the Lord's return. There's the rapture. The rapture is when uh, two will be working in the field, one will be taken, the other one's still working in the field. And the rapture, the word uh, comes from a Latin word, raptura, it's actually not in the Bible. It's, it, the word in the Bible is actually caught up. And so Jesus, at an hour we do not know, is going to call us, the church, home to heaven. And the Bible says the dead in Christ, those that have already died, they're going to go first. We're going to meet them in the air. And you say, man, is that in the Bible? That's all in the Bible. And that's going to happen at the rapture. Then there's going to be a period of tribulation. I'm not going to be here then. It's for those that have been left behind. Speaking of left behind, um, have you ever heard the song, Larry Norman wrote this in the 60s. How many, how many at both of our campuses today, be honest, how many can remember living in the 60s? That's what I thought. This is very embarrassing. Um, it's not embarrassing. It just makes me feel really old. I lived in the 60s. I know that's hard to believe. If you're new here, you're thinking, wow, he's lying. But uh, I, I did. I grew up in the 60s. And uh, Larry Norman wrote this song. Maybe you've heard it. I wish we had all been ready. I play the guitar. I used to play that. Uh, I wish we had all been ready. Life was filled with guns and wars. About five of you know what I'm talking about. Later, several years later, uh, DC Talk did a version of it. Maybe you've heard that one. Um, there was a movie in 1975 called The Thief in the Night. And it was pretty common back in the 60s and 70s to, uh, it was a, I, I don't know if it was just an era of talking about the end times, but when I was in, uh, a young person in student ministry, uh, they would take us uh, to see these films. I'm not going to say the name of this one because there may be people who are akin to people who made the film, but this particular film that they would show us literally scared you to death. Um, but there were all kinds of films. Uh, Thief in the Night was a pretty good film. Um, one time, I, w I went on a youth retreat as a teenager. I was a young teenager. And l I'm just telling you right now, this church will never do what I'm about to tell you. Uh, you'd go to prison for doing what I'm about to tell you. We, so we were in there. And I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, we were having a Bible study, and some men busted through the doors, scared us to death, had automatic rifles or semi-automatic rifles in their hands. Can you believe that? And they said, put your Bibles on the table. And you know me, I'm a preacher. You're not getting, Okay. That's exactly what happened. Uh, there was a guy in there. I, I won't say his name, but I'll tell you his brother's name. His brother is Sammy Haskell. His brother is a Hollywood producer. 
He's a, a few years older than me. But Sammy's brother um, got up, rushed one of the guys, because he said, you're not taking my Bible, took the gun away from him, broke it on the table. Isn't that crazy? You would be arrested if you did something like that today. But I'm telling you that to say that there has always been a fascination with the second coming and the end times. We looked last week at some of the signs, financial, worldwide financial um, knowledge and, and uh, satellite technology. And the, the most common sign is the fact that the gospel is going to be preached in every nation. We talked about the 17,000 people's groups. 7,000 of them have no gospel presentation as of right now. So some of those do, but they're not Christianized. But so many uh, thousand have never heard the gospel. And all of these signs, what is unique about our generation, you're asking, could, it, could we be the end times generation? It could be. Because what, what is interesting and unique about our generation is that all of these signs are taking place right now at the same time. The gospel is being preached. The, the worldwide satellite technology, the financial, uh, worldwide financial technology, <clears throat> all of these are taking place at the same time. The, the reality is, it doesn't matter about those. What we need to be concerned with is doing what Jesus said do, and that's taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to our next door neighbor, to our coworker, and around the world. So today what I'm going to talk about is how, if you're taking notes, this is like the, the starter question of the, the message, how are we to live in the last days? There's no doubt that these are the last days, whether it's, these are my last days, or these are your last days, and whether or not it's the last days, last days or not, it doesn't really matter. But what does matter is how are we to live during these last days? Now, my text today is from 1 Peter, but I want to begin with 2 Peter uh, as, as a place to start in this message. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Um, and I'll get there eventually. <laughs> All right, here we go. You got your Bible? I got mine. Here we go. When will the end come? Well, Peter writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, there are three things about his timing, if you want to know the timing of the second coming. Three, three things that are interesting here. Number one, God desires that everybody be saved. If you're listening, if you're attending this service today, if you're watching online, regardless of what campus you're at, I'm telling you, you may be one of those that God is desiring that you come to Christ. He wants you to be saved. He's not interested in you becoming religious. Say, so, well, what about church membership? That's a good thing. He's pro-church. But what God desires is that everybody in the entire world world to be saved. 
Second thing about uh, his timing is that he has a plan to reach the world. We are the plan. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, number one, God desires that you be saved. Everybody. Now, time out. Parentheses. Not everybody's going to be saved. That's why it's so important that we take the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told you last week that America, uh, all of the 193 nations, geographical nations, all but 20% are actually Christian, growing in, as a Christian nation. Only 20% are not, and America is one of those 20%. That's why it's so urgent, church, that you and I take the gospel, not just talk about it, Muster up the courage and the boldness by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you as a follower of Jesus Christ and take the gospel to your next door neighbor. Get to know your community. And so, number one, he has a desire that everybody be saved. Number two, he's got a plan. But number three, God is waiting on the completion of his plan before he returns. That's why Jesus said, The gospel, when is the end times? It's when the gospel is preached in every nation. Remember, we have worldwide satellite technology right now. The gospel right now is going uh, around, literally, around the world. And so what God is waiting on is the completion of his plan. Hurricanes, they may come. That's nothing we can control. Earthquakes, that's going to happen. There are going to be other signs But what really matters before he returns is the completion of his plan, and that is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Can I get an amen? Now, take your Bibles and turn to our text for today. It's 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, Peter writes, be alert. This is how we are to live during the last days. Should we sell everything we've got and live in a commune? Of course not. Don't let anybody tell you that. uh, They've tried it and it didn't work. The end of all things is, is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have that you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, go back to verse 7. I want to just kind of let this be the launching point. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that ye may pray. Be alert and of a sober mind. Now, how are we to be living during the last days. 
I've got four of them. So if, you, if we're getting to like number three, you know, we're getting close to the end. Um, number one, we should be learning. Peter writes, be sober, be, be alert, be alert of what's going on. And constantly, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should be learning the things about the second coming. Be sober, not frivolous, not wasting time. The Bible says, uh, uh, be busy, be doing the work of God because the days that we are living in are evil. No one can question the fact that you, can, you can't even turn on the news on any day of the week or see it on your phone without realizing the, the major problems that we're experiencing not only in America but around the world. Paul writes this about the last days in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I'm going to just keep reading. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the, will, the Lord's will is. We need to understand what the will of God is for, for our lives. I believe that every day has value. Uh, every day uh, has a value that, that God wants us to, to, to use and to utilize. I believe that each, each day uh, gives us a, a significance and what we need to do with each day that God gives us is, is to live lives of significance. Amen? Live lives, in other words, live a life that makes a difference. You get up in the morning, live a life that, that makes a difference. Um, God has a vision for each day that you live. I'm answering the question, how are we to live in the last days? Well, God has a vision for your life, a purpose, a destiny. And, and he wants each day in your life to make a difference. So when you get up in the morning, just say, God, this is your day. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice. I said that this morning. I quoted that. And, and, and be glad in it. Because God's vision for your life is that you become a difference maker. The government's not going to do it. The government, listen to me, the government is not going to bring utopia to our lives. More jobs, look, I'm far better government. I'm far better jobs and more jobs and higher paying jobs. I, if, if I were your boss right now, I would recommend that you get a, a substantial raise. Don't you just love me? But, but, but listen, more jobs and better jobs is not, not going to fix society. Education? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, you're never too old to keep learning. I, I, I said when I finished college, I'll never go to graduate school. I went to graduate school. When I finished graduate school, I said, I'll never do this again. I went back and did it again. Got another degree, and then I said, I'm not doing this again. And I, I did it again, and... I said, well, I'm never going to read anything but the Bible ever again, and I did that too. I believe in education, but the government, more jobs, 
education, they're not going to solve our problems. What about social reform? Man, social reform, it needs to happen, but social reform is like painting the deck on a sinking ship. That's not what matters in eternity. What matters in eternity is that we do what he said here, and that is, is be careful how we live. What's going to matter in eternity is the gospel. What's going to matter in the eternity is what you did with Jesus Christ. What's going to matter in eternity when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ? I don't know how that's going to look, and I'm going to try to unpack that later. But it says that all the stuff that we did on earth might not have been bad stuff, but it wasn't the best stuff. It will be burned. Oh, I'm thinking all of the wasted time that I've lived on earth, and when, when I stand before Jesus, I don't, I don't want to stand there ashamed of not having done the things that, that are important. So Peter, as he's writing this, Peter's writing to a group of people that were suffering. Uh, they were being overlooked for jobs because they were, they were Christians. Their goods were being confiscated. They were being persecuted. And when Peter wrote, in our text, he said, look, be, be alert. Don't let the things around you pull you in and pull you down. Be, be alert. Things are difficult sometimes. Paul wrote about it in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He said, listen, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul knew what suffering was like. But what's he talking about here? Well, we have been justified. When you, let me give you a, just a quick Bible lesson. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you were justified. Not uh, justified based on what you have done, but you were justified based on what he did on the cross. Can I get an amen? We didn't deserve salvation. We deserve hell. We deserve punishment. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you were justified. And then a process started in your life. And that's called sanctified, sanctification. When you gave your heart to Jesus, and you, that doesn't mean you're always up here. Doesn't mean you'll never fall. Doesn't mean you'll never fail. But sanctification is a lifelong process of God making you into his image. And hopefully a year from now, you'll be more like Jesus than you are right now. Maybe you can't tell it on the outside, but hopefully each day in your life, that sanctification process is, is working in your life. But there's one that's not going to happen until you're dead. And that's justified, sanctified, glorified. And so what Paul said was, was that for the glory that will be revealed in us, that's Christ now. But when you die, and, and, or, or if you're still walking around when the rapture happens, the dead in Christ, that means they're, they're buried, they're in a grave, are going to rise first. We're, we don't have a glorified body now, do we? Anybody? Anybody? 
I mean, this should comfort somebody that's like in and out of a hospital. This should comfort somebody that, that's struggling with disease and struggling with problems because on earth there is disease. On earth there is death. On earth there is sickness and sorrow and grief for crying out loud. We live, we live in a fallen world. We live, it's not going to get any better either until you and I are with Jesus. And when we are, we'll have a glorified body. Uh, the, the pain from a hip replacement is really not that bad, but I'm wondering, when I get my glorified body, will it still be titanium? Anyway, I was just, just a thought. Uh, but when we go to be with him, we're going to have a glorified body. So justified, sanctified, one day glorified. He said, well, is, is, it, is it going to get better before it gets worse? It's never going to get better. Huh? That's why it's so urgent. I mean, why? Because you are a twice, as a believer, you're a twice-born person in a once-born world. Did anybody get that? Twice-born. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Physical birth, spiritual birth. So I'm born, I'm born twice. It's often been said if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. I'm only going to die once. But the reason it's not going to get substantially better is because I'm a twice-born person that's living in a once-born world. So we need to be learning. That's why it's so important to be in a small group a Bible study, a D group. That's why it's so important to, to brush up on your consistency in church attendance. It's, hey, that's why you need to come into the worship service. Hello. That's, that's why you need to come to church on a regular basis. Woo! I feel like preaching. Well, number one, we should be learning Number two, I've got four, so I've got to get to the other three. We need to be uh, looking. We ought to look for his coming. Look. Look for him. Have you ever, uh, you ever have company? Uh, people that come over to your house? People you expect? I, I do, and uh, I guess depending on who it is, if it's a bill collector, I, I'm not doing this, but like if it's IRS. Oh, goodness, that's today, isn't it? Uh, anyway, man, that got me off track. You expect somebody to come over, so what do you do? Go look out the, look out the curtains. Oh, man, that's not what I thought I heard somebody. Then you do, you hear a car, you hear a car coming by. Ooh, you get back up to the window, you look again. Uh, it wasn't then. Then, then, you, you, uh, you think you hear somebody, but you know you don't. But you're thinking, I want to see them so bad that you just walk outside and you just like, you know, just like you're doing something, but you're not, you're looking. <laughs> I do that. I've done that. Uh, like, I'll go down to my mailbox at the bottom of the hill, just thinking that maybe they're coming right now. 
Well, that's the way we should be with the coming of Jesus. We're, we're to be living our lives anxiously. Not anxious in a worrying kind of way, but that hope-filled anxiousness of could it be today? G. Campbell Morgan, he's a famous preacher of yesteryear. He wrote, I cannot lay my head down at night without wondering has the last morning dawned. I get cold chills quoting that. And then he said, I can't go to work without thinking that my work might be interrupted by his work. And that's something? That, that's, what it, that's what it looks like to look for his coming. Then the next one is in verse 8. It says, Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sin. Hmm. How am I to live in the last days? We'll learn and look. But church, this has a direct impact on what we're supposed to be doing. Love. We should be loving at His coming. That's the third one. We should be loving at His coming. Um, two years ago, they did a uh, some research on the millennials, those that are born between um, 1980 and 2000. Different people kind of chart it a little different. We have millennials at both of our campuses. We have millennials that are watching online. Um, they did a, 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 some research on the millennials, asking them, uh, why they were unchurched, those that were unchurched. Why? Okay, so you don't go to church. Why are you unchurched? 82% of millennials said, this is disturbing, 82% of millennials said that they perceived the church as judgmental. Hmm. Now, if you're a, a ripe old Christian of any age, but a maturing Christian. I don't know where that came from. If you're a maturing Christian, be careful not to react to that. Because your reaction is the very thing that the millennials are saying is a problem. They perceive that we're judgmental. Say, so, well, I don't, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just inspecting fruit. Uh, true. Yeah. Uh, no, really. I mean, uh, hey, there's a fine line there. I get it. I get it. You know, uh, well, it doesn't look like they're living for Jesus by the way they're talking and what they're participating in. I, I get that. But what does the church do about it? 82% said that they feel like the church was trying to fix them. Hmm. Would you, everyone, just listen to me for just a moment and look at me? We can't fix anybody. We can't fix anybody. I've tried it. I'd look, I've tried to fix some of you. <laughs> didn't, didn't work. <laughs> didn't take. No, seriously, we, 
the church is not here to fix anybody. I remember a t-shirt that I saw back in the 70s. It said about evangelism, it said, you catch them. You know, we're supposed to be fishers of men. I'm just prefacing it in case you're not with me. You catch them, he'll clean them. I can't fix you. But what I can do is love you. I can love. That doesn't condone, but I'm to love you. John, in John's, John's Gospel, chapter 13, it says, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I'm to love. How are they going to know? How are we going to make a difference? How's the world going to be different? Is it by the buildings that we have? Wow. The programs, the, the, the worship. What's going to change society? What's going to change the world? None of those things. Just love. He says in verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Church, what motivates us to serve? What, seriously. What, what, make, what motivates somebody to, like, work one service, attend another one? And by the way, that's the way it's supposed to be at this church. Serve one, attend one. What makes... What drives somebody to get up and to get ready to, to work in the parking lot or to greet or to work in NS Kids? Is it because we're going to get satisfaction from it? Look, I saw the parking lot guys, I've seen this at both of our campuses, standing out in freezing cold, sub-freezing weather, doing their job. Woo. What motive? They're crazy. What motivates somebody? I've seen people that tirelessly plug into children's ministry, NS Kids, and they, they teach kids all week, but they still come on Sunday and give a service and attend a service. What is it? It's love. What, what motivates me to give my money? Knowing that, well, some goes for the light bill, some goes for salaries, some goes across the sea. What motivates me when, when times are tough and I'm thinking, I could just, I could, I want this. Uh, what motivates me? Love. Now, there are two dangers. Oh, quickly, I want to give you these to you. The first one is truthless love. Truthless love. That's where you love somebody, but you don't tell them the truth. We've got to tell you the truth. That doesn't mean we don't love you and that we're trying to fix you. But the danger in loving is that there's truthless love. And that's when you say, oh, I love you. I love you any way you are. Uh, we, 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 we won't even talk about that. I mean, you know, no, that, that's a danger. We've got to tell the truth. The Bible says, we read it, love covers a multitude of sin. The other danger is loveless truth. Speaking the truth. 
And this is probably where the millennials get this. Pounding the truth, but not loving. We've got to do both. Speak the truth in, in love. And then the last one. I'm not going to read the, the two verses, but verse 10 and 11 talk about it. And that is that not only are we to be learning of his coming, looking for his coming, loving at his coming. Here's the fourth one. We need to be laboring at his coming. Laboring at his coming. What are you doing? Are you working for the Lord? Or where's your devotion level? I'm just asking a question. Where are you when it comes to giving faithfully? Where, where are you when it comes to, to serving? Well, my time is pretty valuable. Well, so is mine. But I learned to manage it because I want to please him. And if he comes while I'm standing, wouldn't it be something if he came right now? Would you be ready? Would you have been working and loving and looking, learning? When he comes, will he find us working? Will he find us enduring? We're to be laboring till he comes. Some of you have heard this. In fact, I went to the IF gathering this year briefly, and one of the speakers was sharing this. This is a, a Rwandan man in 1980 was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or or face certain death. Wow. I'm thinking, who's listening to me today has ever been in this position? He refused to renounce Christ, and he was killed on the spot. The night before, he had written this, and it's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. It was found in his room. This is what it said, and I quote, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in his presence, walk by patience, and uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my 
My gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifices, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. And then he said these closing words. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. What are you doing? How are you living in these last days? Heavenly Father, let this not just be a time of thinking about an interesting subject in the last days, but God, let this be a time where our focus is clear on, on what matters the most. God, help us to be difference makers. If you're listening today and you realize that you're not ready to go to heaven, if he were to come at this very moment and you would be left, I want to encourage you today to put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ. You can say something like this from your heart. Dear God, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose on the third day today I repent of my sins and I turn to Jesus and I put all of my trust in Jesus as my Savior and I follow him today as Lord if that was your prayer would you just thank him and say thank you Jesus I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or to come forward or to do anything other than the listening guide that you received when you came in to the service today. It has a place to fill out and to check that you began a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Would you fill that out? You can put it in the bucket when you leave, but if you'll bring it to guest services, we have a book to give you that'll help you as you walk with Jesus. Maybe this is your prayer today as a Christ follower. Dear Lord, help me not to waste any time, but God, to be faithful. I'm going to ask that everyone stand, and I want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, and thank you for this brief time that we've had together. I pray, God, that these final moments of worship would not be a time where we think about what we've got to do or where we've got to go or try to be first out. Help us to stay in here and God, to the, to the very end, through the song, God, help us to, to take these very, very few minutes and focus and commit and worship 
God, I pray for every person listening, and I pray, God, for just a, a fresh anointing in this place. God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.